You're listening to Green Business with Impact. Your host is Jasper Steinhausen. Welcome to the podcast Green Business with Impact. On today's show, I'll give you a sneak peek into the world of high quality designer products and how sustainability and the circular economy agenda is unfolding here. I have the pleasure of having David Opel Rosenquist with me today. David is Chief Commercial and Creative Officer at the lighting company called Louis Paulsen. And chances are pretty good that you will know them or at least know some of their designer products. They have been around since 1874 and they have iconic designs that can be found in shops, studios and galleries and homes all around the world. They have been acknowledged and praised for their designs several times over the years. Previously, David held other top management positions uh, in one of the other iconic design companies in Denmark, namely Fritz Hansen, that produces furniture uh, by designers such as Arne Jacobsen and Pitt Hein. So, David had a solid insight into the world of long-lasting designer products, and when I met him at one of my presentations, I soon became quite inspired and interested in learning more about their approach and thoughts about sustainability and circular economy. So very happy to present David to you here. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome David Opel Rosenquist from Louis Paulsen. So David, um, let's jump right into it. And I would like to start sort of with a a bit of a broader view. Um, What is your expectations to the to the role of sustainability in the future marketplace? Well, I guess overall in the marketplace or places that uh, sustainability uh, is here to stay and that it will be uh, it will be having a, a bigger and bigger impact, uh, but we will probably also take it for granted or, or, or just have it as uh, any other ordinary way of doing business that sustainability is uh, a very important part uh, of our measures and our, our way of thinking. That's interesting. So this will be this will be the norm. Yes, it will be the norm, and uh, and and it will be probably uh, not a standard. It will be a changing norm. It will be evolving, so to speak, so that uh, it will be a competitive edge for some, for most. Uh, so the the whole evolution of of setting new standards uh, within sustainability uh, will be a competing factor, and and something we'll get used to uh, having into our strategy processes and uh, and thinking of as something um, we, we should focus on. Uh, now is very much a fear of of not being left behind, and uh, what are we losing in terms of customers or revenues or. or uh, what are our competition doing? Uh, but I think that already now is starting to change a little bit to to be how will this make sense for us also as a, a future-proof uh, way of doing business? Um, so I, I think it will be a, a mentality uh, or there is a change of mentality at the moment. It's interesting that it's it's taking this direction. I would like to sort of tie it into sort of the core of Louis Bowles. And so why, why is it actually you do what you do out there? Yeah, it's a very good question. And, and of course, something that we are uh, confronting ourselves with or, or fascinating about because all of us working here is just 
a, a short part of history because we have been existing for 150 years. So uh, it all started a long time ago, uh, and that makes you wonder uh, why do we still exist, and, and what is it that we that we do good, uh, or what is it that we, that we should preserve? And uh, the way that we're putting it uh, as our our reason of being is that uh, we are designing to shape light, uh, and we believe uh, in good light, and that good light makes a difference for people and. Um, spaces and environments so the longevity or the uh, perspective on that is already saying something about that there needs to be something sustainable about it both in terms of our products but also in terms of uh, the way we believe that products our products can make a difference so that's uh, that's what we are uh, what we're here for we're preserving that uh, heritage and and we are Keeping it in mind when we are when we are redesigning or or designing new products uh, in our business. Yeah, because I think one of the interesting things about you is because you have such high quality, long lasting products. You could say that you, that is also a an, an crucial element of talking about sustainability and circular economy. Is, is also was a bit of the frame when when you and I met. Um, so, so what is circular economy to you, and and how do you use it uh, if you do uh, in your business and in your development and, and planning and, and and product development? It's sort of in the DNA of Louis Paulson, and not only Louis Paulson, but I I would even say that the the Danish design tradition or the whole uh, cultural movement of Danish design. Uh, dating all the way back to the beginning of last century, uh, where materials and craftsmanship were playing a very important part also within the function. Um, and uh, that led to making products uh, in a way where both from a design perspective, but also from a durability or longevity perspective, simply would last for a very, very long time. Uh, and that is, uh, that is more than 100 years of tradition. And, and we experience actually that some of the design that was designed 100 years ago is still design that we are seeking at vintage dealers and actually are able to find products that are even 100 years old that has been resold, renovated, Renewed. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So, so that is um, that's the starting point. Uh, I used to work with Fritz Hansen before I worked with with Louis Paulson, and uh, very much the same tradition. I worked a short period of time for uh, the oldest carpentry in Denmark called uh, Rudolf Rasmussen, um, yeah. and and that was uh, the founding fathers of Danish design with Carl Klint uh, designing the the forboard chair in in 1914, uh, and and those 12 chairs or 16 chairs, I forgot, that was designed for the Fopor Museum, is actually still there. They've been renovated, but they're still there and in use. And that's, and that's quite a sharp contrast, right, to the average piece of furniture that you could buy in a shop today. Yes and no, depending on what, what, what you mean by average. But I know what you mean, of course, that, that there's a lot of, of buy, use, get rid of, um, on many furniture, 
But I think that uh, in also in the mass production and industrialization that happened with Danish design, these qualities or beliefs in longevity was was brought along, um, and um, and was something that was to be expected. That part of this was a a great design or great product was that it was something that would keep its value. And the product can only keep its value if it also keeps its beauty, it keeps its function, it keeps its, uh, that it's being repairable, that you can uh, sell it off at auctions or at vintage markets or pass it on to, to the next generations. So this is very much in the DNA uh, of, of many of the companies in, in this business. Um, and, and I think even pushing uh, expectations to to mid-market uh, or lower-market uh, production like uh, IKEA uh, or, or others where, I mean, if you are representing the opposite of this, you definitely need to have a good sustainability story as well because it has become a, a market standard expectation or, or something that will be in the back of your head. Okay, what happens with this? when I'm done with it. And if you feel that these are furnitures or pieces that you can move around with or you cannot uh, reuse, I mean, well, there's a whole lot of material that goes into waste. Would it be fair to say that sustainability is kind of ingrained in your definition of quality? Absolutely, yeah. So it's not a standalone. It's it's actually, and it's as you say, I like I like, and I, I fully agree. It makes a lot of sense that it's it's really part of the tradition. So so you haven't really sort of been having to onboard sustainability. It's really been with you all along, but perhaps it now have a different face and a different role. Yeah, and it has. Um, I remember when we started considering at Fritz Hansen to use uh, sustainability as a strategic topic, or we should put it into reports. Or, and, and we started talking with with uh, experts and, and somebody who knew about this. And, and, and many said, like, you're doing already the best you can do. I mean, you're producing at a very high quality, products that will last for a long time. They're very expensive. They will take up a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, spending power uh, not to use for something else um, and that was the claim within this business among these types of brands for quite a period of time which could also be becoming lazy into thinking of okay so what else should we do because we're making beautiful products that will last a long time uh, and of course there are room for improvement um uh, Definitely also within these brands, because what processes are you doing in the, in, in the production? Uh, what components are, are, are the weak part of the production? Um, yeah, exactly. Because that was the thing that I wanted to ask you about, David, was, you know, is it enough today? Will it suffice to say that we have, as you say, good quality products, long lasting time, take up a big portion of the spending power and so on? Does that suffice in today's market and in your own uh, demands for yourself and your own ambitions? No, uh, no, uh, not at all. And um, you can argue that um, 
some of this has become a market pressure. You need not to lag behind and you need to be able to claim, use it in your marketing, use it in your positioning. And, and if you're lazy and, and, um, and just claiming what you always done, uh, you might end up and using it actively. It, it can be part of a greenwashing where you, you haven't, or you can say there's a good and bad in, in, uh, in this whole uh, reporting and, and uh, UN goals and targets and, and so on that, that is almost like it's not worth anything unless you can document it. There's a conflict or a risk of conflict in terms of saying we're only doing this to be able to document what can we document and that's then what you're doing because you need to use it um, in that promotion or in, in, in that sustainability uh, uh, calculations and so on. But I think uh, the good thing it has done is that it has pointed out in both uh, companies have, have been in, in, in this business. Um, it started off, there was a lot of resistance, especially within actually our supply chains and, uh, and among um, uh, the manufacturing, because it was seen as an unnecessary obstacle. Everything had been focused on quality, beauty, um, and it was believed that the green agenda or the sustainability would mean less of a quality. So the quality dimension you were asking about became all of a sudden a topic mm. because why were we using this type of glue? Why were we using this type of paint? Why were we treating the leather in this way? Uh, and it was all for good quality reasons, but all of a sudden it became, okay, so this lasting uh, process is that harmful in the same way? And if we're claiming just the long longevity of it, is it justifying that the process itself um, isn't the best or is actually very critical? And uh, then a lot of discussions about, okay, so are we just hiding the bad stories and emphasizing on the good stories? And um, it seems so complicated to get started to say, oh, okay, so how do we change or how should we document and, and let's leave this out. But at Fritansen at one point, I don't know if they're using it still, but we had a very good vision formulated in terms of saying that instead of keeping it as something we didn't deal with, other than we had always dealt with, to say that we want to show the world how timeless design and sustainable solution or sustainability is all part of the same solution. So instead mm -hmm. of making it a, a contradiction or something that was giving a resistance, it became actually something that was part of exactly that quality that you asked about before. How did, how did that play out? I mean, was that, how, how did, what was the implication of that sort of more or less a conscious decision that, that these would go hand, hand in hand? For instance, uh, at Fritzhansen, they had always been using different types of leather. Some of them had been uh, chrome tanned. So the process of tanning was using chrome, which was less sustainable than using uh, something that was used uh, with natural uh, tanning uh, methods. What chrome does in the tanning is that it protects the surface so that 
the leather will last with the expression of the leather forever. So it's very resistant towards stains or, or, or wear and tear. Whereas uh, the natural tanned leather will change over time. It will start to darken in some areas. It will start to have uh, some patina. And everybody within the Fritansen agreed that the most beautiful leather was the natural leather. But of course, it could be a hard sell because you need to make people understand why is it beautiful that it change? Uh, how should you Im embrace the first stains that it will have uh, in the early years? Because in 10 years time, 20 years time, 40 years time, all of this will become a beautiful patina of the leather. So tapping into a quality story that had been hard to tell became all of a sudden also a sustainable story that made sense. So, and it might be that, well, there wasn't the glue in the market that we needed or we wanted, but we could make a push towards the suppliers that this was a focus and a need. And now it's there. And the same with the paint, only water-based paint and, and, and so on. So, so by changing that thinking and also making it not something, this is something that you need to solve tomorrow, but this is an ambition of moving in that direction, uh, made a lot of good sense. And, um, and I experienced the same when I started here at Louis Paulson, that, uh, that, that early resistance uh, has now become a driver. That's really, really interesting. Do you ever wonder how solid a foundation you have for creating a competitive edge out of your effort on sustainability? Here's how to find out. I've created a free assessment tool for you where you can score yourself on the five principles you must master to gain a competitive edge using circular economy. So just answer 30 quickfire questions, get your score and get recommendations for your next steps to improve your foundation. It's free and it only takes a few minutes. You find it by going to greenprofit.scoreapp.com. I was just curious to hear what, what kind of results have you then achieved so far and, and what are you sort of expecting? What's, what's on the horizon? Well, we've been looking in, I mean, looking at this overwhelming 17 goals from the United Nations or looking into sustainability reports from, from the leading companies. I mean, uh, you get pretty overwhelmed and, and you don't know where to start and how to do everything. And, and we, like everybody else, is having a, a lot of uh, improvements to do. So so we started focusing on what would make the most sense and, and which few uh, items should we focus on. And, and one of it was zero emission, which turned out to say uh, because it was something we could easy fix. I mean, we could we could buy green uh, electricity and we could offset so that actually the, the zero emission target we had for our own operation. Uh, we, we, we achieved one year ahead in, in 1921 uh, by offsetting a lot and by green energy. But all of a sudden, and that's what we talked about in the beginning, this becomes a market standard. So don't go greenwashing on that because, I mean, it exactly. has already yeah. becoming a standard. So yeah. um, so now it's more like saying, okay, so what, 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 what are our partners doing in the full supply chain? Can we extend it into that? How can we set targets on lowering our consumption of fuel and gas and uh, air freight and, and set targets like that? Because that is, again, challenging to say, well, we want to make 
air freight less of our consumption, not only for traveling, but also in our transporting. Often it makes business sense because it's bloody expensive and we, we only do it when we are late, right? So we, we need something from far and, and then we have to air freight it. But the thinking of it and that we also have this motivating of doing it is making sense for our business because it's, it's, it's not right anyway uh, of doing it. But, but um, especially uh, one thing we are uh, proud of or where we really see um, a possibility of making a difference is that taking the natural or the nature of our products that are being bought and um, changing hands and being resold either on, on, on vintage markets or, or passed on to generations uh, is really something that happened or happens because of the good products, the good quality itself. It's not really because we are involved in the process. Uh, other than we are making them repairable, we can supply spare parts, it can continue uh, the, the product life cycle. So can you do that for any product of yours? Do you, I mean, do you supply spare parts for, for all your products? Yeah. And how long back? Uh, well, as long as they're in the collection. I mean, uh, okay. products that as uh, I mean, we I, I think we 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 supply spare parts for five years after the product is no longer in the collection. But many of our products are in the collection still after 25, 50, 60, some even hundred years. So so in that way, it's possible to have spare parts for uh, uh, Paul Henningsen design designed originally in 1926. But we are still providing uh, glass shades or, or other components uh, for it, or it has been updated so that that the light concept or uh, uh, the electronic components has been upgraded. For instance, we're we're doing a lot of street lighting as well, where uh, many of the uh, the post tops uh, along the roads and and and, and streets um, they might have changed their. Uh, light concept one, two, three times, but the fixture itself is still the same. So that's what we call retrofitting. So of course, it's, it's much more sustainable to have an LED solution for that. It gives better light and using much, much less energy than uh, in the past. But the fixture itself uh, has outlived the electronic components. So, so that has been also, I mean, this is not something we invented uh, two years ago, three years ago, start looking. I mean, that has been common sense uh, that uh, Albert Sloan post top uh, designed in the, in the late 60s uh, would be upgraded with the new uh, electronic components and change the light concept with technology. Uh, and of course, and I mean, also for your clients, it, it's great economy, right? It, it's so much cheaper to, to upgrade the the, the source and the electronics in it rather than having to actually shift the whole pole. Um, so again, uh, an example of better business and better impact. Yes. Um, Especially when, when every, when everybody starts to think of being measured long-term. Yes. Because of course this, this comes with a price. I mean, it might be that the fixture itself is more expensive than a, a certain competitor, but the, uh, but looking at it on, on the lifespan, it becomes both a, a good sustainable business and, and financial business.
I like to just unfold that a bit, David, because I know a lot of people uh, that I talk to, you know, they always have this this issue around, um, you know, what if we raise the quality and thereby perhaps also the initial price, but in the total cost, this is going to be cheaper for everybody because it lasts so much longer uh, and it can be upgraded perhaps or, you know, some of the, but, but you could be interesting to hear from you as, as your brand by sort of by definition is high end and you deliver long lasting quality and great design and so on. So how, you know, how are you met in the marketplace when you're out competing, say for streetlight? Um, how do you manage that competition where you would probably for compared to what you could buy at least be a more in, in uh, a higher investment upfront but probably a, a lower total cost would be my guess. Mm. How do you sort of navigate that and, and how does the market respond to the fact that you you come in with a product that's, at least you say you could find cheaper alternatives if you just look at the upfront investment? Mm. Well, it's it's not easy because it's, uh, especially with streetlights or post tops, it, it's, uh, it, it might be different um, stakeholders that are, uh, buying or that are maintaining or that are uh, covering the cost of the usage. So if, if, if it's cheap for one to make the initial investment, but it makes it more expensive for somebody to take care of the maintenance or that it will be more costly in, in uses or repair. I mean, then, then you have to, to figure out who is it the one that are the decision maker who should have an interest in, in, in all parts of it. And um, so, so that's that's what we're trying to do. I mean, again, for 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 one thing, is it a design that 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 will last uh, long enough so that it can be suitable for that environment for many many years, decades? Uh, will it be in a in a quality that will make it even when it starts to rust or it starts to be uh, having uh, wear and tear or patina? Something that will. Uh, looking beautiful or, or and again can it be updated with with these um, leds or retrofitting uh, that will be and then use that in the argument so that you're looking at the lifespan investment uh, and it comes back and that's where we i mean we have to be documenting we have to start calculating and documenting because otherwise this will be only a matter of belief and argument and not documentation. So of course, documentation needs to to, to follow that uh, line of uh, convincing anybody that. So, you, will so you're helping. So you're basically helping the buyer to see the bigger picture and then back that with data. Is That's that our only chance. That's our only chance because yeah. we're definitely not the cheapest, especially when it comes to to solutions like that. So or it can be even a whole community, or it can even and it can be cross uh, the users or the 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 inhabitants of a city or an area or a street that, that both are concerned about the uh, the quality of the light and, and the quality of life living in that area uh, around that light and putting pressure on, on those uh, making the initial investment. But of course, it, it might be that, I mean, especially with, with public uh, uh, budgets, I mean, th there is a certain budget. So how, how, do you, how do you go about that and how do you change or repair or or update but that's that's the line of argument and and in that case sustainability and 
having that aspect. So not only becoming a financial or an aesthetic, but also an environmental. That's that's helping out our case as well. And I think you're onto something here because quite often when you work with sustainability and circular economy, it, it you know you might have investment from one budget, but you actually harvest the benefits on several different right? So so that exercise that you're sort of mastering and, and been training yourself in of really, you know, unfolding the full picture mm. and helping the buyer to see the different values. Uh, and, and I mean, in the example, of, I, I chose Streetlight because I think it's interesting. And as you say, you, you might have a buyer's budget and you have a maintenance budget and then you have a budget for, for, the, for the electricity, but you also have citizens living there and what does high quality design mean for people's experience what does it mean for uh, the safety feeling the quality of light and so, so you know you have a pretty complex set of of uh, fields where you can harvest the value but you still just have the initial investment up front that's the foundation for the buying decision right so you really need to sort of master that yeah um yeah. that broad spectrum approach to it and help people see it. And some is tangible and some is less tangible because mm-hmm. uh, how, you know, voters appreciation for the city <laughs> uh, can be quite a distance away from, uh, and well, I'm a buyer with a fixed budget. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it, I, I think it, it gives a good perspective or a more holistic perspective on it. And exactly what you say, I mean, uh, what makes a, a city a, a livable city? I mean, we, we are fortunate enough Copenhagen to be nominated and I think awarded as the most livable city in the world uh, by different standards. Uh, and a lot of it comes back to something that you would have said is uh, intangible um, and has uh, aesthetics and, and uh, yeah, I don't think streetlights have ever been mentioned, but that's even a dimension about how do you thrive in a city and, and what's make it pleasurable to to be in and uh, as a tourist or as a, an inhabitant um, so but it's a complex story I mean, I mean if it's a short deadline and it's a, a short budget I mean <laughs> this tends not to be to to be the main focus but uh, yeah. yeah yeah all right but uh, really interesting to hear some of your learnings and, and coming from that sort of it's not really an option because it's that's how your brand and your products are designed and and the position you have in the market. So what would be a couple of sort of good key learnings you could pass on to others in your way of working with sustainability and and this whole circular approach? Yeah, um, I think uh, one of the most important learnings I've had is that using this sustainability as uh, target setting and and documentation and um, and targets for the future and and putting it on paper or on digital uh, and showing the world uh, should you shouldn't make you as terrified as you are in the beginning Uh, you want to put high targets and show great results because you want to use it uh, promotion-wise and document that you are achieving uh, what you were set off to do. 
But the nature of working in this way is also to admitting uh, your mistakes or changing targets. Because it might be that you had this target for the 2021 report, but you failed. And part of explaining that you failed and why you failed or even have changed the scope is part of the learning process of the company, but also for, for everybody uh, in the market. I'll just jump in here briefly, because uh, David talks about the importance of being open and transparent and open to change. And this is essential when you work on transforming your business. I often refer to it as having an entrepreneurial approach, because quite often we see companies when they set out to do something and they have already invested time and money and often also personal brand in it, then they stick to the course, even though it becomes evident that it's not the ideal course. Uh, this is really the sunk cost in action. But it is just the consequence of learning. And when developing new solutions, you will inevitably learn something that makes you want to change the course and probably do it many times. And you should do so. And this is right in the middle of the entrepreneurial approach where you build, measure and learn. And that's so widely spread amongst startups today. So use that approach and make sure that you follow along and adjust whenever needed. An example, we, we were setting off that, that we, we wanted to implement LED solutions for all of our fixtures, even uh, the oldest fixtures, because I mean, using incandescent light bulbs was illegal and was consuming too much electricity, um, which was a huge, sustainable uh, result in, in our business and, and with Louis Paulson. Um, part of this technology was to actually include fixed LEDs in uh, even small household uh, lamp design, uh, which was smart because they could, they could carry on for 15,000 hours or 50,000 hours or whatever, and you wouldn't consider even changing the light bulb. So we did that in many of our new fixtures, and uh, if it broke, it could be repaired, but the consumer couldn't repair it themselves. They had to have a professional doing it or handing it in. And that part of the system, we hadn't thought well through. So some of these products ended up having the risk of being uh, thrown away at the point in time where they broke, if they broke. I mean, we had the questions first from our Japanese colleagues saying, what about earthquakes? I mean, if things break because of an earthquake, because they were asking, how do you replace the light source? They said, you don't have to replace it. It lasts. Yeah, but what if? And then, so we had to go step back. And of course, we cannot do it because these are long, long development processes. But it has been said that these mistakes that we did, we're still going to use fixed LEDs but we're just going to set as a standard that they need to be uh, replaceable and even replaceable by the consumer or finding ways of doing it. So you always have setbacks and you can admit them and, 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 and then explain what, what are you, what will you do in the future? So, so don't be afraid of setting high standards for the direction. And even though you're, that you're not able to do it, um, then be honest about it. And we're trying not to, to use uh, our green agenda sustainability too much in our marketing, even though that uh, uh, we 
we could, and, and we often see them. Others that we compare to is is making it a bigger deal than than we believe that it is. But we are quite afraid of greenwashing, and, and uh, we we rather come from behind, and uh, and and show what we have achieved. And some of it is long term, and, and we rather believe that there's there's no quick fixes. I mean, uh, thing is in it for the long run. So a lot of our main achievements will happen when we are increasing uh, the amount of uh, non-virgin materials being used in plastic, in metals, and in all of our components, because that will really make a huge impact. Um, and that we're pushing uh, so that we're setting clear targets on that. And then we are uh, implementing something that goes across all functions that are taking our biggest selling item, which is the famous PH5 lamp, uh, that are being sold over and over again to say, okay, can we make a return system where people can actually hand it in, get a bonus when handing in like like a return bottle. So it comes with a price or, um, and we can renovate that with new electronic components and give it a treatment where we are not using any emission causing functions, mainly by cleaning the shades and giving it a, a raw finish um, and have launched a series of product where we have been treating this metal just just getting rid of the paint uh, and launching it as a retake and that we're doing with the ph5 and and there's a lot of resistance internally not because of the product but because of the handling because this handling goes across it's just complicated it's complicating in our supply chain it's complicating in our uh, sales and customer service and uh, and everywhere but not letting that scare you away. Just keep, I mean, the first, we have set off to, to let's do 100 and let's see if there's an interest in the market. And there was, and, uh, and, and they were sold. And all of a sudden we had a backlog. So now we needed to have more <laughs> and we were, we were lacking <laughs> supply because uh, how do we get them in? So now we need to invent a whole new way of marketing that return system with the clients. Uh, and it needs to be done digitally. We need to use our e-commerce. We have to send packages out to make it return. We have to give them a voucher code so that they can have that uh, uh, price or, or for a, a, a voucher to rebuy or whatever. And it's it's a huge system that we need to put into this, and it will take three years before it is fully. But when it is, we can extend it to more than this one product. We have already said in in. 2023, we will have five product families that has this finish. I can already say now we will fail. It won't be five. It probably will be three, but that's fine. I mean, we are moving. And as soon as we have the digital solution for it, we all of a sudden also have a new business way of getting closer to our customers, starts to have a relation uh, and being in, in, in dialogue in a, in a different way. So even though that it seems... Uh, difficult to overcome, and it won't happen in 12 months' time. It can set off a, a, a direction that, that can um, mean something much greater for the business. It can also, it can also be that, that it didn't because it didn't become a, a sustainable uh, business model, but then at least you tried uh, moving it in some direction. So that circularity, I think, fits very well into to our products and brand already. So uh, we're trying all kinds of ways to see how, how we can, can make this happen. Really interesting. And, and I think uh, 
you know, you get this at least initial positive response from the marketplace indicating that there is actually a market for this. And I, I wouldn't be surprised because as you say, they are sold and traded already out there. So it's just a matter of you getting a stake of that in, in that uh, and giving them also at the same time a quality lift. And I think it's interesting that you actually, you know, you create a new line, a new edition, because that's sort of the raw version. Um, so, uh, so yeah, a lot of interesting steps, both from a design and and business and sustainability point of view in, in those steps. We are sort of coming to the end. I would like to ask you, again, we sort of broadened the scope a bit uh, here towards the end, um, because how do you envision that that the role of business in general, not just you, but the role of business will be in securing this transition to a more sustainable future? You mean in society, a business, uh, yeah? Yeah, exactly. What's the role of business to making sort of the green transition? I think that uh, I think that business uh, will, will be, if not the main factor, then uh, then uh, one of the main factors in society compared to regulations and and and, and public uh, policies. I, I think that uh, because it a lot of it will come to thinking of new ways of making sense, commercial sense uh, as well. Um, and, and this um, competitive advantage that it will be uh, where new um, innovations and new ways of doing things will uh, will happen. Uh, it's it's an environment that will monitor each other. So uh, what seems like a, a good idea or a good statement, but it ended showed up to be a greenwashing or, or or claim that that couldn't live. I mean, it will it will all be out there, and it will push each other to have new uh, innovations and, and new measures and and learning from each other. Um, so I think that business uh, will be the main factor in in making it happen. I think, of course, governments, regulations needs to to point directions and set standards. But I think that business gonna make uh, by um, not only following the standards by but following normal market terms will be the driving force. David, that's that's in there. I think I think it's uh, it's a good way to end this very interesting conversation. And uh, and I believe you're right, actually, and uh, and and fully support uh, you and and the work you're doing uh, and, and other companies out there. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing your thoughts and your stories and your learnings. Uh, it's been really valuable. So thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you. Much pleasure. You've listened to Green Business with Impact. You can get more insight on how to create circular business on bwimpact.com. If you want to get in touch, you are very welcome to connect with Jasper on LinkedIn. Just type in Jasper Steinhausen. If you have questions, comments or suggestions for future podcast episodes, please contact Jasper J.S. at bwimpact.com. Dot com.